I have to tell you that um, I count it just a just a tremendous privilege to be a part of this group of people. Ann and I, I guess I don't know four years, five years, however long we've been coming here now, and uh, from that very first day. And I know you've heard me say it, but I gotta say it again. We walked in here, we felt like we'd come home, and we feel that way all the time. We just love you, and we love this church. And we're so glad to be part of it. And, and when the opportunity came for me to become pastor here, I'm just overwhelmed by that privilege and, um, and just really glad to be a part of your life in that way. Uh, I do think of it as a great, um, not only a duty, but a privilege to stand before you and to share God's word. And uh, there's no man who's alive who's really equal to that task. Uh, it's only through the grace of Jesus Christ that any man can can share his word. And um, and I rely on that grace uh, every time I come up here. And I believe with all of my heart that when I stand before you that I have a message for you from the living God. And I know many times as I come here, I, I feel like what I have is not enough. Sometimes I feel like, oh, this is a good one, Lord. I'm really glad about it. And other times I stand up here and I think, Lord, this is... This is a little boy's lunch, and there are 5,000 people to feed. Not that there are 5,000 people here, but you see the illustration. And so often I pray before I come up here that God would take whatever I have, however little or however much it might seem in my own sight, into his hands, just like he did those loaves and fish. That he multiply it, and that he would feed the souls of his people. And when he does that, then it's not just enough, but it's more than enough. We really do have a great and good and loving God. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Psalms. Psalm 106, uh, where we'll see verses 21 through 23. It says, they forgot the God who saved them who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. So he, that is God, said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. Now all men are like grass and all their glory like the flowers of the field grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Would you pray with me, please? Father, again we come to you, gather around your word, wanting to hear you speak to us. And Lord, we feel privileged that you have entrusted your word to us and that you know each one of us inside and out and that you are a God that not only spoke the worlds into existence but you continue to speak in our day. So in the following the example of Samuel, say, here we are, Lord, 
speak to your servant. And Father, as for me, you know how many times I have failed you, failed your people. Nevertheless, because of your grace, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. So last week I uh, talked with the kids in their different classes down at Little Lamb about the same thing that I'm going to talk to you about this day. And the concept really is, I think, rather simple for even some of the two-year-olds. At least, I think, some of those two-year-olds had at least a little understanding of what we were talking about. And certainly the older kids definitely followed along. So I spoke to two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, and kindergarten-age kids. And uh, Yet as simple as that message was, that concept is, it really is also very profound, like so many other things in our faith. And the passage we're going to look at this morning gives us a glimpse of spiritual reality. It is really a kind of behind-the-scenes look at our world and God's interaction with it and how we can affect the things that happen or don't happen in our world. And the idea we're going to look at this morning could see summed up in the, the words standing in the gap. And our scripture reading this morning, we saw that Moses stood in the gap, and as he did so, it changed the course of Israelite history. And each of us, in our own way, can do the same kind of thing. We can stand in the gap and make a difference in the lives of others. Now, the text that we're going to look at today is just one verse. And it contains some real insight. And it's a little complicated, but it's, uh, it deals with this rather simple concept of standing in the verse. It gives us a kind of behind-the-scenes look at reality. And in it, as we look at this passage, we get a glimpse of the heart of God, which I think ought to affect us in a positive way. And we'll see just what a person looks like who does stand in the gap, and maybe we'll see how we measure up to that. The verse that we're going to consider is found in the Old Testament in that in a sense, obscure book of Ezekiel, though it's a big one. Uh, it's uh, in some ways obscure to many people as they write it. But we're going to turn to for, uh, chapter 22 and look at verse 30. And I'd invite you to join me there in your Bibles if you're not there already or simply look at the passage up on the screen. And what I want to do this morning is I want to begin with the first few words of the verse. And, and so we have here that God is speaking, and, and he tells us that he desires to find this certain kind of person. And so we read there, I looked for someone among them. And I, I want to stop right there before we go any further. 
And what we have here when we look at this passage is what we would might technically call the language of accommodation. You see, God being God is uh, infinite, and, and so he accommodates his speech to us. He, he, he makes it so that we can understand it. He wants us to understand it in our heads, but also to feel it and to experience it, to, to understand it with our heart. Uh, he, he wants to communicate genuinely to our whole person uh, this concept that he wants to get across. And so when God says here he looked, what he's really doing is he's painting a kind of picture in our hearts. He's telling us that he really desired this thing, just as a a man who really desires something will look for it and and search for it. And so God desires this thing that uh, he's looking for. And and if you ever misplaced one of your children, uh, you have some idea of the meaning of this particular verse here. Uh, I don't know how many years ago it was now. I think it might have been before Addie had come along, but but Ann and I and our two boys at that time, and if Annie was there, she was just a little thing and carried around in a basket, so to speak. And, and uh, we went to visit some people, and our son, Bo, and Earl went outside to play. And Earl comes in and says, I can't find Bo. And so Ann and I said, what? And we got up and we looked, and nobody could see him. And the, the longer we looked for him, the more anxious we got, you know, and we're calling him, and we just think that he'd fall into a culvert. Did he get lost? Did somebody come along and pick him up and take him away, you know? And, and I don't know what made me do it, but at some point I walked over and I, I opened the door to the car, and there's Bo hiding in there, right, and laughing because he thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And I think he thought it was very funny after I found him. But that desire to find him, that that, that thing that was in our heart is the same kind of thing that is in God's heart. You see, God knows everything that there is. He's omniscient, and he doesn't really have to look for any. He just knows whether something's true or not. But he says he's looking because he wants us to know that's the desire in his heart. Kind of like in the Garden of Eden when he... After Adam sinned and hid from God, God said, where are you, Adam? God already knew where he was. It was just an opportunity for Adam to respond. And so it is here. God knows what he's communicating to us. He's illustrating to us this great desire, he says, has by saying that he's looking, that he's searching for this particular kind of person. And so we read on to see what it is that God desires. And so it says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap. So what God was looking for, what he desired, was a particular kind of person, a man or a woman, but a particular kind of person. He was looking for someone who would build up the wall and someone who would stand in the gap. And and so we want to ask, what does that mean? And so we're going to look first at what it means to build up the wall. And so in the Old Testament, God is pictured as putting this hedge or this wall around his people in order to protect them. And I think that happens to us, and it happened to the nation of Israel. I think it happens to us when 
people first come to him, when we first come to him and put our faith in him, it's just kind of a of a spiritual wall around us to protect us from uh, the attacks of our enemy. And the three great enemies of the faith, as you know, are the world and the flesh and the devil. And the world is always picking at us, chipping away at us. And, and the devil is attacking us in any way he can. And even our own sinful nature tries to lead us astray. And, and so God puts this wall up around us to protect us. But this wall has to be maintained like anything else in this life. And we're going to talk a little bit later about what it means to maintain this wall. But, but it has to be maintained. And, and, and if it's not maintained or if we get to this place where we stop following God, then there's these gaps or holes or breaks that appear in the wall. And so we can become vulnerable, very vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. And the awful thing is, is when those breaches in the wall occur, when those gaps happen, the enemy makes his way in. It's just as in real war that both good and bad people are hurt in that attack. And so when I was down at Little Lamb with those two-year-olds and those five-year-olds, I had a picture, I had a picture of this wall of a castle, and I explained that, that we're inside that, and this God is protecting us, you know, but if that wall begins to deteriorate, the enemy can come in, and, and it was something they could see and they could understand, and that's really this picture that God is drawing for us here in this passage, and so God wants people who will come and they will build up this wall, and again, it's a spiritual wall and, and it's built by spiritual means which we'll talk about shortly but that's what God is looking for the kind of person who will do that and that person who builds up the wall is also the same kind of person who will stand in the gap and, and what that means is, is that there's already a breach in the wall for some reason there's already this gap, this opening in the wall, whether from an attack of the enemy or some sin committed by those people inside, or maybe even just a lack of attention. There's this, this way for the enemy to enter in and wreak havoc. So this man or this woman, they, they go and they stand in this gap, and in a sense they become a part of the wall, and they fight, and they keep the enemy out. And again, for those kids, you know, I showed them a picture of a wall, and then I showed them a picture where there was a hole in the wall, and they understood how easy it was when that was there for the enemy just to come right in. And then I showed them a picture of a person in armor, and I superimposed it over that hole in the wall, and that person stood there. And to get in, you had to get by that person. And so God wants people will do that, who will stand in the gap, who will stand there and fight against the evil one. And so the kind of person God is looking for is, is someone who sees the weak places in this spiritual wall and comes along and builds it up and strengthens defense, or he or she's the kind of person who, when there is a breach, stands in that gap fighting to keep the enemy out and protecting those inside. And once again, the wall's a spiritual wall, and so the tools 
that are built used to build it up are spiritual and the tools that we fight with are spiritual and again we'll come back to that in a little bit but get that picture in your mind of what God is looking for and then I want you to notice something else about the heart of the person that God is looking for you see people like this people that God is looking for they're the kind of people that do what they do for the sake of others and again we read in verse 30 we're going to need a little further further this time it says I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land and of course on behalf of the land means on behalf of other people so this man or this woman they stand in the gap and and, uh, and they do so for the sake of other people. They may themselves benefit from it, of course, but that's not why they do it. They're motivated by their love for other people. As a matter of fact, when you understand what that person is doing, you understand that they're putting themselves at risk, that they are placing themselves in a place where they will be attacked, where they may indeed even have to sacrifice themselves for others. And so he bears or she bears the brunt of the attack. And, and we can look in our scriptures and, and see people, person after person who has done that. Jesus Christ did it for us, bore the brunt of the attack. And, and there was uh, Stephen in the book of Acts and the apostle Paul. And, and down through the ages, there's Christian after Christian after Christian who has seen that breach in the wall and has step in there and fill that void. You can think of uh, uh, the guy's name just went off my out of my mind, but he was uh, in England and he was the one who fought to end slavery in England. Again, someone standing in the gap. A- and, and they do that. They, they stand there risking themselves on behalf of others, even though those other people may not deserve it. You see, that gap in the wall is there for a reason. And here, in this passage, it's clear that the people were deserving of punishment. And it was also true in Moses' day when he stood in the gap for them. And so just as just as a person is there and does what he does for other people, he does it even if they don't deserve it. That's the kind of person that God is looking for, not someone who does something just for his or her own benefit, but does it for the sake of other people and does it whether they deserve it or not. And so just as God has done all that he has done for us and as he did all he did because he loved us, so those who stand in the gap are those people who do it for the sake of others because they love them. And when God finds someone who's willing to love like God loves, willing to pay the price for the sake of others, whether whether they're deserving or not, then there's another truth that we see here, and that is that they stand for God. I want you to notice the two words that we've skipped over so far. It says, I look for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land. See, when we build up the wall, we stand in the gap. When we do those things, we are standing for God. We represent him. We show 
what he's really like to both those inside and outside of the faith. You see, we when we do that, we make God real to people. And down through the centuries, over and over again, person after person after person has said to those who are following hard after God, I saw something in you that I've never seen in anyone before, and I know I don't have it in me, and I want what you have. And in our actions and the way we live and the things we do, when we build up the wall, when we stand in the gap, it gives credence to our words. Uh, We make the faith come alive. And standing in the gap, we stand in the place of God. We, We represent him to other people in a real and a tangible way. No longer have they just heard about him, but in a real sense, they're seeing God in us and through us. You know what that also means? <laughs> it also means this. You see, when we stand in the gap, when we build up the wall, we're not only representing God and standing in his place, but, but he has our Whatever happens to us, whatever comes our way, we can be sure that we are in his will and we are in his hand. Now, the next passage in in this uh, text takes a little bit of explaining. And and so we can say that God doesn't want to have to destroy the land, and that's why he's looking for a man or a woman to stand in the gap. And so we read in verse 30, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. And you see, God doesn't want to have to destroy the land. But there wasn't anybody in this case to stand in the gap. And so he had to do it. You need to understand how that works. This, once again, is one of those ways of trying to communicate biblical truth. You see, it's the evil one who comes in and does the destruction. But God is in charge. And so when there is no one to stand in the gap, and when the destruction comes, it comes because God has allowed it. And you should see what he's talking about here. You see, he's talking about destroying the land and not the people. And of course, some people get hurt in that. Some people are destroyed when it happens. But you have to see that it's it's the land that's destroyed. Bad people, when that happens, getting what they deserve. And good people are simply going to their reward. But the destruction is of the land and not of the people. In other words, what God is doing is he's allowing these things to enter into their lives or our lives in order to wake people up and to shake them out of their lethargy and sin. So he destroys land in order to save those he can. And good people suffer when that happens. Good people suffer. Bad people are there, but they do, and they suffer because... They're right there in the midst, and they're in the midst there to be witnesses. They're there to show people how to live in the midst of calamity. Good people are there even to show other people how to die when that's necessary. God doesn't want to destroy the land, but he has to. 
because of his character. Because he wants to save those who will turn and repent. And because there isn't someone there to stand in the gap. Now you think of it this way. You don't want to punish your children, do you? You rather would have them choose and do what is right. But, but if they don't, then you do what you have to do. And the same thing is true here. And so God looked and he found no one to stand in the gap. He wanted someone to, but there wasn't anyone. And when we see that, and we can kind of step back in just a minute and ask, are there any good people there at all? You know, you know some people will say, well, no, obviously there wasn't anyone good there. They all deserved punishment. And as it says, we understand that, don't we? We know, every one of us that's here, we're a sinner. And we deserve bad things. But in another sense, I would say, yes, there were good people there. What we would refer to as good people, not sinless people. And I think what happens is they just became complacent. They saw the evil around them, but they didn't do anything to enter the battle. They weren't willing to sacrifice themselves. They weren't willing to stand in the gap. And, and so we get verse 31. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fierce anger, bringing down on their own heads all they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. All because there was no one standing. I want to ask a couple of questions and make a couple of points if I can and, and try to bring this to a close. And the first thing I want to ask you is, is this text teaching us that there was, there was just one person willing to stand in the gap that that nation or that group would not suffer? I think we have to answer that no. From what we know in other scriptures, we, we know that there's things can get so bad that judgment is going to come, that this, this nation, a group of people has crossed a line, and even if there were someone that was willing to stand in the gap, the judgment is going to come. And we see that in scriptures. It was true, uh, for instance, in the days of Jeremiah. So, so how do we get to that state? Well, I, I suppose we get to that state because nobody stood in the gap earlier on when things were... We're not so bad. When one person might have been able to make a difference, no one wanted to be bothered. And as things deteriorate, more and more gaps form in the wall, and so you need more and more people who will stand in the Nephilim. And if it's hard to find even one, how will you find multiple people? And unfortunately, the deterioration has to get pretty bad for us to notice. You know, I have to tell you, I think somewhere, Somewhere between that time when a person standing in the gap, one person standing in the gap can make a difference, and the place where that line is crossed where nothing can make a difference, that a nation that finds itself in that place has only one hope, and that is real, genuine revival. And revival comes, my friends, when all sorts of people are willing to stand in the gap right where they are. I, th 
think that's where we are as a nation. Twenty years ago, Ronald Reagan, I thought, stepped into the gap and stopped movement of our country in the wrong direction. I think we're at a place now where there's so many holes in the wall and the only hope we have is revival. There's not one single person who can stand in the gap in our nation. It takes all of us. And the question is, is how do we do that? How do you stand in the gap? Well, with the kids, I made it really simple. I said, there's two things you can do. You, you pray and you live right. I'm going to be a little bit more complex with him. And I'm going to start with the things that is maybe in some sense the least spiritual and the least important. And that is, I'm going to tell you that in our nation, although we have some input into our government, most of us really aren't in a position of political power and leverage. And so for us, what we need to do, the first obvious thing that we need to do is to do what God would expect of us in such a situation, he would expect us to educate ourselves on the issues and to vote our conscience. And to tell you something, it takes a minimal amount of effort on our part. You get on a website today, and they can tell you how people are voting. They give you a guide. It's so easy. And I think that's the simplest thing that we can do. But I think God also calls some people to take active parts in a particular issue. So some people have a heart for children, and they teach Sunday school. And some people are drawn to crisis pregnancy centers, and they help out there. And other people may work against the slavery of our day. And you know, it's rampant. Even in our country, slavery is happening here in the United States of America. But every single person in this room, every person who names the name of Christ is called to minister some way, however that is, whether it's in church or society or in a more political arena. And yet when we see that, we have to remember that we are in a spiritual battle. We must do everything we do in faith. We have to trust God. We can't put our faith in any person or program or movement or party or anything of that. Only God is able to save us. So we vote and we do what we can. But our trust isn't in those things. Our trust is in God. But more important than those most obvious things is becoming the person that God wants us to be. Years and years ago, a year or two after I became a Christian, I heard a girl say something. And it stuck in my mind. She said, the very best thing I can do for other people is be right with God myself. And sometimes Christians are criticized. They said he's, they say things like, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. I have to tell you something. For every one person that you find that you could describe that way, so heavenly minded he's no earthly good. There are a hundred other people who are so earthly minded they're no heavenly good. Every person you find that claims the name of Christ is called to minister on his behalf. And any one of those can avoid 
Hebert is mentioning to us that what uh, we are or are becoming must be by faith. Just as it's true in our actions, so it's true in our heart. You want to stand in the gap? Then be everything that Christ intends you to be. And then if you want to stand in the gap, you do what I tell the kids. You pray. Then I spend a lot of time on this because I've said it often enough. And I say this, I sum it up in this way. There is nothing more powerful that you can do than to pray. And if you see a gap or a wall that's needed repair, the first thing you want to do is pray. Finally, I, I think every single person has to do whatever work is in the sphere of his or her influence. And so we aren't in the national spotlight, uh, but we really are profoundly important in our own immediate family. And then in a sense, in a declining order, we're important in our extended family, and we're important in our circle of friends, and we're important in our churches, in our schools, in our places of work. And in every one of those areas, we can have a great impact. We may not turn the tide nationally, but maybe we can stop it. And if we can't stop it, maybe we can slow it down. Or if we can't slow it down, then at least we can stand for what is right in any one of those spheres. And I will tell you that any one those spheres is more important in the heaven's perspective than the national or even international scene. Whatever happens in the world or in our nation, at least let us try to be faithful in our own families. Let us be all we can be there. It, it just may be, my friends, it just may be that as you and I and your neighbor and my neighbor begin standing in the gap in our own spheres of influence, without planning it or even knowing it, we'll provide a platform for someone else who can stand in the gap at a national level. But even if no such person arises, even if we cross that point of no return, isn't it better to stand for what's right? Isn't it better to go down fighting with the name of Jesus Christ on our lips and in And to give in to evil and simply let it have its way. I can tell you on the authority of God's word, He's looking for people like that. We'll build up the wall. Stand in the gap to 
the sake of other people, no matter what it costs. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, thank you that you stood in the gap for us. When we were overwhelmed by our sins, you took them all away. Loving us, even when we didn't deserve it. Teach us, Lord, how in some small way to do the same for others. And it's in your wonderful name.